All right, so we're on the second circle. So we already talked about the church. Now we're talking about the family, and the family is divided into two parts uh, when it comes to church growth. Uh, one is procreation. That is, in order for a church to grow numerically with people, there have to be people. And if there aren't people, then it can't grow. Uh, this is why churches in some places in Iowa or Utah or something just aren't growing. People aren't moving into those areas. So uh, you can't blame the church. It's just simply the demographics. Why has Zion grown so much? Uh, there's people moving here. Uh, there's a lot of people moving here. Also, people are uh, hearing the word and rejoicing in it. But you have no one to preach to unless there's people there. So it's just common sense. So that, that's the first thing, uh, that there, there ought to be people um, to preach to and to, to raise up in the church. By the way, uh, procreation is a legitimate means of church growth. It is a legitimate way that the church grows is with children. Um, to discredit that or say, well, that doesn't count, that's not, that's not fair. Why doesn't it count? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't they count? They're souls that, that the Lord has redeemed and saved. So the fact that we have a bunch of babies uh, in the church, this is great. But the church has grown that many people. Um, okay, so now we get into the second thing, the second component, which is catechesis. Which means it's not simply enough to have the child. The child must be taught. You have to teach the children. <clears throat> Having uh, many children uh, but never teaching them is useless. You've set them up for it a temporary existence uh, and an existence that would uh, lead to their condemnation. Rather, uh, you want to not only teach or have those children, but teach them uh, and make them neighbors of yours in the resurrection and eternal life. Um, so when we talk about catechesis, we say, well, what is catechesis? Well, very simply put, uh, it comes from two words, uh, kata which is uh, like back, um, depending, it's a, the, depending the context there. Uh, and then echo, which is to echo. So it means to echo back. That's what uh, catechesis means. That's the, the root words there. Second uh, Timothy 1.13 says, Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So that... That means when you go to a church, people should be talking the same. They shouldn't be talking in different ways. So you don't come to a church and some people in the congregation are saying, well, you know, when I made a decision, when I decided to be a Christian, and then the other side says, well, uh, Christ chose me before the foundation of the world and he revealed it in baptism. That's, that's not holding to the sound pattern of words, right? These are contradictions. Uh, or somebody speaking of the Lord's Supper in one way and, uh, and somebody else in another way. So the point is that we're all united by words. We're all to speak the same way and have the same uh, uh, pattern of words. Um, you guys have heard, I don't know if you know this, but uh, you might have heard this, the Latin phrase, repetitio est mater studiorum, which means... Yes, repetition is the mother of learning. That, um, that is the way we learn things. How do you learn the ABCs that way? How do you learn anything by repetition? Um, the, the older you get or the more mature you are, then the less kind of repetition you need. But 
you still need repetition throughout your whole life. Second uh, Timothy three fourteen says this: Continue in the things that you have learned. So it's a continuous to go back to them uh, in the things you have learned and firmly believe, since you know from whom you have learned them. So you don't take the catechism and toss it under your bed. You don't. You don't throw it in the, in the drawer and you don't say, well, I've done this already. I already know this. No, it should be ingrained in your mind uh, to the point that not just that you remember it, but that you can't forget it. So that all of your thinking is categorized in the form of the catechism. And that, when you can do that, then you're thinking uh, theologically. Then you're, then you're able to think through difficult problems. Uh, also, Philippians 4.9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So that as uh, you, you practice what you learn, uh, you've received what you've heard and even seen in the Apostle Paul and in pastors, that you uh, mimic this. Okay, that's the definition of catechesis. That's what we're talking about, is teaching your children to talk a certain way, uh, giving them a certain way of speech and a way to think through things. Where does catechesis happen best and most? Yeah, absolutely, the home. Um, So just to backtrack a little, on catechesis, um, that's a neutral term right? Meaning you're always going to talk like some, someone. Uh, the question is who? Who are you repeating? Who, which words are you repeating back? Uh, the world has their own catechism. The world has their own way of speaking. And uh, pop evangelicals have their own way of speaking. We don't mimic them. We don't mimic the world, the way the world speaks. Uh, we don't say things like follow your heart or things like that. Uh, we, we speak of the Word of God. We say the heart is deceitful above all things. But what am I supposed to do with that? That's what the Scriptures say. That's what God says. So that's the way I'm going to speak. Now, even if it clashes with everything I know and feel. Um, so, so this is the point. Uh, so catechesis is neutral. Um, how does Paul say it? Uh, good or bad company corrupts good morals. Why? Because if, if you notice this, this is all over the place. Uh, people who work, right? If, if you go to your workplace and they're just dropping F-bombs and cursing all the time, you're more likely to curse too, even if you didn't want to at first. It just happens. Um, wives who hang around uh, a lot of women who have been divorced, whose closest friends are women who have been divorced, are more likely to get a divorce, actually. Why? Because of the way they speak. Uh, and then this, this becomes an option, right? Uh, this is also why children who witness divorce in their own parents are more likely to get divorced themselves if they get married. Because in their mind, it's always an option, right? Um, where in the Christian's mind, we say it's, it's not an option at all. I mean, there's, there's no going back. That, there's just no option here. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, I can either make this marriage great or keep it miserable. But what am I supposed to do? I'm holding to God's word here. Okay, so this is the thing. There's influences always from others. And the question is, well, who is influencing you and who are you talking like? So that, that's really a red flag when you start to hear, when I start to hear members 
uh, speak in different ways. And they start to speak in ways that sound a lot like the world. Uh, and it's not that they're not learning. It's that they've learned it and then they're starting to drift away. And they're starting to sound more and more like pagans. And that's a red flag uh, to say. Because before you can say it, it had to be in your heart for a while for you to accept it. Okay, uh, so catechesis, let's go back to that. It happens primarily in the home. Um, Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but you, fathers, bring them up in the discipline, that's another word for education, and instruction of the Lord. So catechesis, this education, is a lifelong duty of parents. It's not enough simply to have the children, but you have to teach the children. Fathers and children are the primary teachers of children. So we don't simply delegate this duty to others uh, frivolously. Let me, let me put it this way. Sunday school and confirmation is not a replacement for catechesis at home or education at home. Uh, that means you don't, <laughs> you don't just say, well, my kid doesn't know the catechism. Let me drop him off at church with the pastor for one hour a week and then he'll come back and learn the catechism. He's just, they're not going to learn it. They're going to learn it to pass the test, and then that's it, and it's over. Uh, Just like, I don't know, you learn geography in some of the similar ways, or uh, subjects in high school or middle school. Um, That is, there has to be a constant learning of these sort of things, a constant diet of it. Uh, So it's not good enough to just drop your kids off at Sunday school and then drive home and never talk about God throughout the week. It, it doesn't work. If you're not reciting the Ten Commandments at home, they're not going to stick. Your kids just won't learn them. And even more than learning them, they just won't even believe, uh, believe it or do them. Uh, same thing with the creed and these sort of things. Uh, I'm, hold on. Let me see. Oh, I do get to this at the very end, I think. Um, okay, I'll talk about that later. Uh, so this means that fathers need to read the word of God to their children. Fathers need to pray with them. Um, oh, and, and when fathers pray with their children, this is a good thing to do it regularly. So to have set times and schedules. So to say in the morning or whenever you gather together for dinner or at night. But also to do it extemporaneously uh, in the moment. So, and I need, I, I'm convicted by this too, that I need to do this better. Actually, Erica brought it up to me. She's like, we don't really pray um, just, uh, we, we pray regularly, but you don't just stop us and pray for something if we hear good news or something like this. And I realize I do it for myself, but I don't kind of stop with my family. So I'm going to start doing that. If I hear good news, that I would stop and pray with my my uh, wife and children right away. If I hear bad news, to do the same thing. I think this is a good thing. I'll talk about this towards the end, but it's good for children to see their, their father and mother do this. Um, okay. Uh, I've been emphasizing the father all this time, and that's what the exhortation is in the scriptures. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but that they are to discipline them. Uh, I want to talk about this. It doesn't mean that the mother can't teach theology at home. It just means that it's the father's job to do it. And there's a distinction there. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that the, that the mom can't teach uh, the scriptures at home. In fact, who did Timothy learn the scriptures from? 
from his, from his uh, uh, mother and his grandmother, right? Uh, which later on, Paul tells Timothy to ho- hold on to the things that you were taught in your youth. Now, we don't know the situation with Timothy's dad, whether he was out working or his dad died early or his dad left and abandoned the family. We don't know that. All we know is that the word that was taught from the mother uh, stuck and now He's, he's a pastor, right? He became a bishop in the church, and Timothy was great. But it was the same word of God. So let me explain it this way. Um, uh, what, what the nuance here is. Uh, women, uh, mothers can teach theology at home, but it's not their job to do so. So it means that it's not the rule, but it is an exception. It's the exception to the rule. So... Let me put it this way. Can a woman, can the wife take out the trash? Yeah, of course. Whose job is it to take out the trash? Mine. It's my job. So I feel shame whenever I see Erica take out the trash. I'm like, oh, man, I, I blew it. Um, and then I'm like, okay, I got it. I'll do it. I'll take it from here. Right? So, but the thing is, it's my job. There's an expectation that, hey, this is your job. Whose job is it to pay the bills? Mine. Whose job is it to, to mow the yard and to take care of the, to take the snakes out of the house? That's mine. Uh, uh, I've delegated spiders to Erica. She takes those out. But, um, but there's the expectation and the understanding that, hey, uh, my husband, he's going to do this. And, and even my sons know this, that, hey, you got to do this. That's my job. Now, can she do it when I'm sick? Yeah. If I don't feel like it, if I'm running late or I forget, yeah, she, she helps. But that's not her primary role in the home, right? This is the point. Um, because all too often, when we look at, when we look at the fall uh, and the curse in the fall, what happens, what does God say to Adam and then Eve? To, well, Eve and then Adam. He tells to Eve... Um, her, her pains will be multiplied in childbearing, all these things. And then he says, your desire will be contrary to your husband, right? Or that there's going to be a struggle, that she's going to want to lead the family, right? Uh, to the men, what does he say? What does he say to Adam? Uh, By the sweat of your brow, you'll bring forth f- food. So the temptation for the woman is to take lead, and charge and, and to be in charge. And the temptation for the man is to be lazy, right? If, meaning, he's, the only way he's going to eat is if he sweats. That's the point. Uh, by the sweat of your brow will you uh, eat. And so then the temptation is to say, well, I don't want to work that hard for this, right? So this is, this is then, then the, uh, the struggle that the woman is going to try and take, usurp his position. And the man is going to step back and say, okay, well, if you're doing this, uh, fine, go ahead. And then he becomes lazy, and it's an awful feedback loop, right? Um, usually in these situations, the, the woman wants the man to lead, right? She wants the, her husband to take the lead here. Um, okay, so again, what I'm saying is, is this. The same thing goes for devotions at home. Can mothers lead devotions and talk to their children about theology? Absolutely. Uh, can they pray with their children? Absolutely. Whose job is it, though? It's the father. So that uh, it, it should never be in re- replacing the father um, as the rule, but as an exception to say, hey, your dad is out of town. I'm going to pray with you. 
right? Uh, I know dad leads devotions. I'm going to lead them today. So that, the, the point is that men would be active and take this role. And that's how the scriptures speak. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, um, let's see. Oh, by the way, the small catechism. What does it say before every chief part of the catechism? Yes, well said. As the head of the house, uh, head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. That, he's talking about fathers. Uh, fathers, teach this to your home. Um, it, is, it is their job. Okay, uh, I want to talk about some statistics. I talked about it in the, in the sermon a little bit. Uh, I'll just review this. How many hours did I say that uh, Americans spend on social media? Yeah, two hours and three, uh, three minutes. Uh, that's average. So if you look at your phone, that would be a good uh, exercise. You look at your phone and look at the usage on your phone, how much screen time you have. And it's above two hours on social media, then you have a problem. Um, what about videos? Uh, how many hours do people watch videos per day? Remember? Four. So it's about six hours and three minutes of screen time total, on average, every single day. Uh, I want to talk about a few things here. The amount of Bible read by Americans, by religious and non-religious uh, people. The amount of Americans who have not read the Bible is 10%. Um, the amount of Americans who have read a few sentences of the Bible is 13%. Uh, the amount of Americans who have read several stories or passages in the Bible once in their life is about 30%. Um, the amount of Americans who have read at least half of the Bible, what do you think? 15%. So at least one of the Testaments or something. Uh, the amount who has read almost all of it is 12%. Uh, the amount of Americans who have read all of it, this is higher than I thought, 11%. Uh, the amount who have read all of it more than once, 9%. So only about 20% have read the entire Bible and read it more than once, uh, or even less than that have read it more than once. Okay, now I want to talk about the frequency of Bible reading amongst Protestant churchgoers, so people who go to church. Um, those who go, like, like us, uh, Protestants who go to church every week, uh, Twelve uh, percent read the Bible rarely or never. Six um, percent read the Bible on their own once a month. Eleven uh, percent read it a few times a month. Right? This is again, this is outside of church. This is on their own. Twelve um, percent read it once a week. Twenty-seven uh, percent read it a few times a week, and then thirty-two percent read it every day. So you can see kind of the trend here that the more you go to church, the more you'll read the Bible, right? It, the more likely you are to, to read the Bible. Um, this, is, this is because uh, the, the Word of God, learning theology, is, um, makes you want to learn theology. So the more you read God's Word, the more you want to read God's Word. The more you listen and learn theology, the more you're intrigued and interested in it. Um, which means if you're in a slump and you stop coming to church uh, and you're just bored or uninterested in it, what should you do? 
the best advice is to go to church, especially when you don't want to go to church. Uh, if, if you're not reading the Bible as often as you want to uh, because you don't feel like it, then what should you do? Read the Bible, right? You, you basically drown your feelings and you, you push it aside. You don't say, I'm going to read the Bible when I feel like it. Well, then you're going to be the 10% who never reads it, right? Or, or whatever this might be. So the point is, you just, th- there are certain things you do in your life that you just have to cast aside your feelings and say, it doesn't matter if I feel like doing this, I just do it because it needs to be done, right? Uh, washing the dishes. I'll wash the dishes at home. I never feel like washing dishes, ever. <laughs> I, I hate it, right? But I do it, and it, it's a work of love, and I love my, my family. So, <clears throat> so the same thing with the scriptures. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if you want to, f- want to or feel like reading the scriptures. You just do it. Uh, and like I said, about 15 minutes a day, you'll finish the Bible in a year uh, at the average reading speed. Uh, 30 minutes a day, you'll finish it in six months. So, I mean, that convicts all of us, really. That means if I read the Bible 30 minutes a day since I was ordained, just start there, I would have read it 16 times by now, cover to cover. (laughs) And I've read it four, four times that I could point to. Um, And and it's just not enough. I don't know the Bible as, as well as I should. Now, if you read the Bible as much as you should, do you think you'd be better prepared to deal with false doctrine? Do you think you'd know the scriptures? Would you be more patient of a person and more loving and kind? Yeah, because it's not just information. It's the word of God. Um, The spirit is a double-edged sword that cuts between soul and body and bone and marrow. So we're not just dealing with with a manual. This is a this is the, the word of God himself that we would learn. Okay, so I want to uh, talk, move on to this part. Why don't fathers catechize their children? Why is it that fathers are kind of absent in this way? Um, they just are not super involved with their kids in the faith. That's a, that's a trend. I hope, I pray to God, and what I've seen is that it's changing. But uh, it's, it's a by and large, this was a big trend for men to just kind of be outside of that or to be very individual about it and the wife kind of takes it on. What do you think? Yeah, so there's, there's laziness. Um, that's the first thing. I think there's laziness. That some fathers are just lazy. They won't do their duty uh, when it comes to this. Now, Whose job is it to protect the home? It's the father's. If there's an intruder that comes into the house, whose job is it to stop him? The dad, right? The, the husband doesn't send his wife. <laughs> he doesn't sit, sit, lay in bed and say, hey, honey, can you go check out what that noise was? No, he, he doesn't. He gives her a kiss, and then he says, hopefully I'll see you again, and I'll go check it out. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, th- this happens. So it's like, th- but there's, there's a hierarchy here, and it's good. So that the father, uh, the father um, takes care of the mother and the children, and the mother takes care of the children, right? So that there's, there's this uh, protection here, and that the, the purpose of the father is that. Okay, that's true, and we all grant that. We say that, yes, it's the father who ought to protect his uh, family in physical danger. Who should protect the family in spiritual danger? The father. 
the fathers to take the lead there and say, what was that on TV? I don't like that. Let's turn it off. I don't want to see that ever again. Uh, what is this book you're reading? Or what is, what is this website on the internet? Don't, no, we're, we're getting rid of this. That, that is, as, is as much an attack on the family as somebody breaking into the home. In fact, maybe even more dangerous. Even more dangerous because a child can still believe through this, but this is attacking the very heart and the soul of the child. So, so that, that fathers would take the lead not only physically in their homes, but also uh, spiritually in this very way. Um, that they, and, and yes, I understand this too. The, the husband, the father works. He gets home. He's, he's tired. Uh, he hears things. He's dealing with stress and all this stuff. One of the last things he wants to do is do more work when he comes home. I understand that. Um, but uh, it, it's shameful. It's a shameful thing uh, to devote more of our energy to our work than to the home, than to the family. Uh, because your job can hire basically anyone. Um, but your family, your children have one father. Your wife has one husband. That's indispensable. When push comes to shove, you have to choose what the, the one that God called you to, right? So this is a thing. I mean, it convicts me as well uh, to say, look, can, Zion can have any pastor. Really, there's many pastors to call. Zion can have many. But my sons can't have any father. I'm the only one. This is it. And I have one chance. You have one chance to raise your kids. That's it. You can't redo it. You, you, you take it seriously the first time or you don't. Uh, but you have one chance to do it. And you have one chance to, to raise them in the faith in these things. It is, it is a very difficult and serious task. Um, but laziness is, is not to be uh, an excuse for this. Uh, so that you have to find times for this. Just some recommendations here. Um, if you don't do devotions regularly at home, I say start at dinner. Right? So the workday ends, you come, and at least you, you should at least try and have dinner with your family uh, every, every day of the week. Um, start there and start small. So start with just the Lord's Prayer. And say, before we eat, we're just going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And then after time, uh, you're going to add things to it. And then you're going to add, well, let's say this verse. Well, let's say the Ten Commandments too. And let's do this. Let's make the sign of the cross. Let's sing a hymn. And then before you know it, you have this full service, this devotion here. Um, so to, to start small, don't bite off more than you can chew. Also, if you fail one day, you come home and uh, you just pass out or you forget or whatever. Don't beat yourself up. You, as fathers, as men, you just dust yourself off and you do it the next day. Say, you know what? I blew it this day. I'll do it next, uh, tomorrow. And then... You, you, you keep doing that. But you don't just hang your head and, and give up. Um, okay, that's the first thing, laziness. The second thing, what do you think it is? Be, well, yeah, okay, that's, that's if he's not even around, yeah. Um, <laughs> laziness. Laziness. Teacher. Yeah. Okay, good. Fear. Yes. That, what the heart of that is, is fear. Is to say... Um, some fathers are afraid I don't know enough. So I'm going to leave it to the experts. Um, so the, the, the idea is I don't know as much as the teacher. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, but you're wise. You're a Christian, right? 
that means you know a lot. You, you, you know a lot of things. Um, you, you ought to, at least you know where to point them, right? So this idea that, well, I can't, I don't want to teach theology at home because I might mess it up. Well, okay, that's a legitimate fear. Be, be careful with that. Then just don't speak about things you don't know. Just speak about what you do know. And what you do know, it's better to learn that well than to try and cover broach topics and subjects that you don't know. So, meaning, the best place to... For, the thing that a father must know best is what? The catechism. You should know that like the back of your hand. And if you don't know that, if, if you want your kids to learn it, but you don't, yourself don't know it, it's not going to go over well, right? They'll throw it back in your face. Um, so you, there, there's a constant learning of this, and it's an instilling into the children uh, to, and, and the wife and children. Uh, but yeah, it's this fear. It's a fear of like, I don't want to mess it up. Well, I'm going to leave it to the professionals. Um, so instead of, I might make a mistake with theology, so what do I do? I just won't talk theology at all. And that's not good. Uh, you should be thinking theologically. In, f- in fact, everything you do in life could be uh, a, a theological conversation. Everything. Whether it's food, just give glory to God for the food. Say, this is amazing that God thought out all of these foods how things would go together and that for no other purpose. Did God have to put flavor on anything? No, could have just been slop. And yet he put flavors and things that are uh, interesting for us to eat and we love eating. Something that's so necessary for life is something that's so pleasurable and enjoyable. Just rejoice in that and tell your kids, that's awesome. Look what God did. This is good food. Or to teach your kids to be happy. That's a good thing. Uh, teach them the ninth and 10th commandment. Don't, don't worry about that family. Don't worry about their home. Or Look at the home God gave you. Just be happy here. If you instill that attitude in your kids, my goodness, the, the world is going to change completely just, just with that attitude. Um, okay, so don't be afraid. So th- what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to encourage fathers. Uh, use the devotion times to learn for yourself. If you can't do it and you don't know what to talk about, just summarize the sermon at the very least from the, from the previous Sunday. And talk about it through the week and say, well, what did I learn from it? What, what, uh, what, what am I going to teach you to learn from it? Um, that there are people out there who don't care about you. There are people out there that are just trying to use you as a means to fame or money or, or things. And you have to use your ears. You have to listen to the word of God. Right? Just take what you heard in the sermon. Jesus warns us about false doctrine. False doctrine is from the devil. Flee it. Um, starting there, I think, is a very, very good thing. Uh, it may be even, even in Bible studies, things like this. Okay, um, <clears throat> let me move on here. Okay, let me talk about tools for devotion and catechesis. Okay, the number one tool is going to be the catechism, the small catechism. So you, you ought to learn that well. And the explanations, right? Uh, third commandment. Uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Gladly. Um, that, that you would be able to go through any commandment and teach your children to think through it this way. Uh, the other thing, so that's in the hymnal. The other thing I want to show you is the daily prayers. So go to page 294. Whoops. 
So 294, um, this is for individuals and families. So it begins by saying, these brief services are intended as a simple form of daily prayer for individuals and families and in other settings. When more than one person is present, the versicles and responses may be spoken, so on and so forth. For the readings, uh, you can uh, look at some of the daily lectionaries on page 299 to 304, the small catechism page, starting at page 321, so on and so forth. And if you look at it on the left-hand side, uh, it has the days of the week, so Sunday, and it tells you the topic and the thing to pray for. This is great. So that on Sundays, you pray for the joy of the resurrection. You think about what life eternal will be like for the fruit of faith, nourished by the word and the sacraments. So you, you thank God that God has given you faith um, and that uh, it would bear fruit in your life. So you focus on that on Sunday. On Monday, you pray for and you think about faith to live in the promise of baptism. Remember your baptism uh, for your calling and daily work. Pray for the unemployed. It's a, it's, a, it's a gift of God that you have a job, right? That's, that's a, gift for, a gift from God. Um, you pray for the salvation and well-being of your neighbor. This is great. I mean, these are a lot of things that I don't even think about. I, uh, I don't think about it often, right? I, if, you th- if you think back to your prayers, a lot of your prayers are, have to do with you, I know that with myself, that I'm praying for me, me, me. I want this, I want this. And rarely am I praying for other people. And that's a sin. That's wrong. I shouldn't be so, so uh, self-centered. And this helps you break out of that to say, man, there are people who don't have jobs right now. They have skills, but nobody's hired them. I got to pray for them. I got to pray that God take care of them. I gotta, there are people who don't know Jesus, who go to bed at night wondering what's going to happen uh, in their life. They're wondering if there's a God wondering what's going to happen when they die. I, I don't. I'm happy. I know what God says. But I'm, I need to pray for those who don't know that. Right? Um, the next, uh, uh, for Tuesday, deliverance against temptation and evil for yourself, that you pray for the addicted and the despairing. Right? We're, we oftentimes forget those who are addicted to things and who despair. The tortured and the oppressed. Uh, pray for those Christians around the world, even among us, um, uh, who are being persecuted and tortured and imprisoned. Uh, Wednesdays, pray for marriage and family. Uh, pray for husbands and wives, parents and children, that they would live in harmony according to God's word. Pray for the parents who must raise their children alone. There are a lot of those, right? Single motherhood. This is heartbreaking to see. So pray for them. Uh, Thursday, pray for church, uh, for the church, for the pastors, for teachers, deaconesses, other church workers, missionaries, those who serve the church, uh, so on and so forth. Friday, the preaching of the Holy Cross um, that, for missions, uh, for the persecuted and oppressed, the sick and dying. And Saturday, for faithfulness to the end, that you wouldn't fall away from the faith. So this is good that it provides variety and it helps you think outside of the box, outside of your own home and outside of yourself. And then on the following pages, page, starting at page 295, you have a short order of devotions here. Uh, 298 is probably the one you'll use the most since at the end of the day, you're with your family. Uh, fathers are back from their work. And it's very brief. And it's very short. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a few verses. The Lord Almighty grant us a quiet night and peace at the last. Uh, amen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, Most High. 
to herald your love in the morning, your truth at the close of the day. Then you read one of these readings here, or another one if you want. Um, Say the Apostles' Creed. That's good. You should be saying that more often than the Nicene Creed uh, that we say in church. Then you have the Nunc Dimittis, and this frustrates me here. Why? Just look at the page, or look at the words. It's all wrong. It's, it's all wrong. Yeah. What translation is this? Lord, now you let your servant depart or go in peace. See, I can't even read it. Uh, Lord, now let thou thy servant depart in peace. Uh, your word has been fulfilled. Um, it, it frustrates me because they changed the text, and that always trips people up. So um, it's better to just sing and keep the text that you know and not tinker with it all the time. Anyway, uh, so, but sing the Nunc Dimittis, which is very good to sing when you're going to sleep because you don't know if you're going to wake up. It's a gift you guys woke up this morning, but there are people who didn't wake up this morning. Uh, so you, you pray this uh, before you go to sleep. You pray the Lord's Prayer. You pray for others and yourselves. Um, the concluding prayer, you pray that, and then you close with Luther's uh, prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, our Lord. Uh, you say, let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. And what is the final rubric there? It says, then go to sleep at once and in good cheer. Right away. Uh, so this is a good thing. How long do you think that takes? Yeah, it's about 10 minutes, really. Um, it's, it's really, really short. It, if, if you just begin with... Um, uh, yeah, if you just begin, just say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then continue with the Lord's Prayer. Just start with that, and then let it grow. And then just add these things as, as time comes. Um, it, it feels shorter and shorter the longer you do it. Um, there is a really, really good resource out there. It's fantastic. It's called the Treasury of Daily Prayer. Uh, who has this? Oh, you all do. All right. So, um, so that's very good. If, if you use that, that is awesome. They have readings for every single day of the week. They also have readings from uh, church fathers and even from uh, the Lutheran confessions. So you can read through that as well. Um, okay. Oh, by the way, a couple of, uh, of things here. Have a family Bible at home. So everybody should have their own Bible, but you have one big one for the family that you go back to and you open up. I, I think that's a strong... Um, it's a strong image for the whole family to say, that's our Bible. That's when we come together. Also, uh, have several hymnals at home. I've encouraged you to take the hymnals from here and just bring them back every Sunday. Do it. Uh, just take a hymnal and sing hymns at home. Uh, learn these things. You don't have to sing well. Just sing. Uh, sing good things. Um, <clears throat> create a routine with your children right away uh, because when you forget, your children will remind you. And they'll tell you, hey, we didn't do this. <laughs> we didn't pray. Um, Martin does this, and he'll tell me, uh, you made the devotion shorter today. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, you caught me. I'm like, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm like, I was so tired. You're right. Okay, I'll, I'll add this. So, um, but, it, but it's amazing. So he's used to it. He's ready uh, to, to hear it. Uh, a few things here on hindrances to catechesis. Uh, two things here. One is contradictions to what you teach at home, and the other is distractions from what you teach at home. So one, uh, contradictions. Government schools, public schools, have a certain catechism of their own. Well, the world does. And the goal is to overthrow Scripture. And I know that sounds very 
blunt and maybe extreme, it's not. Um, because the truth is all education is religious education. All education has a worldview. Uh, sorry? Yeah, exactly. So you, you're not going to get away from it. You're, it's not a neutral yeah, Correct. Yes. You, you, you can't find an education that is suitable to all people with the same presuppositions. It, it just, that doesn't exist. You either have a curriculum that assumes that God exists, that there's objective truth and morality, or you have a curriculum that says God does not exist, that we came out of a puddle and evolved, and that there's no meaning or purpose to life. There is no objective morality. Those are your starting places. Now you say, well, uh, uh, if I'm trying to teach my child that there is a God, that there is a meaning to this life and there's purpose and there's a, a, a point to it all, and I send them to a school where they say the opposite, are they going to hear things that contradict? Absolutely. Now, it's, it's, it, it's going to seep into every subject, everything that's, that's talked about. Um, it's, I'm not saying you can't learn anything in a public school. You can. But it is also going to be mixed with error is the problem. And children uh, are not prepared to separate truth from error very well. Uh, they can't at that point. They can barely tell the difference between fiction uh, and fantasy and nonfiction. Um, this is why kids are confused about, like, cartoon. My son thinks Spider-Man exists. <laughs> you know, like he, he thinks he, he's, a, he's an actual thing, and I have to say, no, he doesn't exist. Um, so he's confused about that just by seeing this. He thinks he, so he has trouble. Now, if I send him to school, I'm, I can't just assume that he's going to be able to discern this word of, the word of God that he's only started hearing uh, four years ago. So this is the first thing. This, there's going to be a lot of contradiction. Um, they're going to teach your children where they came from. You're going to teach your children where they came from. They're going to teach evolution. You're going to teach creation. Uh, they're going to teach your children how they should view the world as a naturalist. You're going to teach them to view it as a creationist. Uh, you tell them, they're going to tell you who to listen to, uh, to the experts. And you say, well, you listen to God. Um, who to idolize, the rich and the famous, as opposed to the saints and the martyrs. Um, how to behave uh, hedonism, do what makes you happy, as opposed to what does God say? Um, they'll tell you what to tolerate and what to be intolerant of. This, this is all part of education. It, it has to be a part of it, or else it's not a good education. Uh, the question is, what are you learning? So the bottom line is that education can do one of two things. It can either correspond to the faith, or it can contradict it. That's it. Those are your only options. Um, there's a uh, an objection that comes out, and what is the uh, objection to this, to everything I said? Okay, yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I'm going to send my kid here, uh, and I know it's, a, it's not a good place to, to go, but I'm going to send them there, and they're going to be the light, and they're going to convert these people, or they're, they're going to help them. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the influence is very, very strong there. Yeah. Uh, the, the, ju you just have to be reasonable and, and honest about this. What are the odds that your child, new to the faith, infant in the faith, 
is going to convert an entire public school of people. It's not going to happen, right? Rather, they're going to get bullied, right? Or they're going to be made fun of, or they're going to depart from the faith in these ways. It's it's super sad. The other thing, uh, the other objection is like, well, I I did, you know, I went to public school and I'm fine. I turned out fine. Um, Yeah, one, things change, yeah. And that's arguing from exception as opposed to the rule. Um, Yeah, that Yes, that poem. I'm trying to remember. I did quote it in a paper of mine. Um, yes, yes. I so I wrote a paper. Yeah, that's very good. I've never I never learned that poem. But I quoted it in a paper that I wrote titled What the World, or the World Wants Itself. And it was on arrogance. And, uh, and I quoted that poem to show how, uh, how he's arrogant, right? He, he turns to himself in this poem. It's, um, and that he has no hope, right? There's, there's no hope for this. This is the sort of thing, right? They're learning poetry, but not all poetry is good or moral, even artwork. I've talked about Jackson Pollock's artwork, right? Uh, it's just a mess. And then, like, oh, this is beautiful. Let's, let's consider this. No, his point was that there's no meaning to life. None. He's a nihilist. And then he went off and then he killed himself. You, if you show that art, you, you better be able to... I, I'm fine showing that art to my sons as long as I get to teach them what it means and to say avoid and mark, mark and avoid these this sort of teaching. Look where it leads you. Um, anyway, but this is the point, is just because somebody is able to make it through s- sort of a difficult time doesn't mean that it's desirable. Can, some, can a Christian survive public school? Yeah, uh, yes, they can. There's cases of that. Um, but the goal of education is not to survive education. <laughs> it's to thrive. It's to learn through it and grow from it. Um, okay, so that's the first thing. There's alternatives to, to these things. Uh, the second thing is distractions. And I talked about this at length already, screens and TVs. Uh, your TVs and phones are full of more false teaching than anything on the planet, ever. It, it, is, it is unbelievably convincing and unbelievably powerful. You have to realize the medium of the screen is so... Um, so attractive to our eyes. Uh, it is so appealing to our senses. Um, so my plea is that you do everything you can to limit screen time at home. Um, many children's shows claim to be educational, but they end up teaching evil things in these ways. Yeah. Can I just, well, I read the book, so I wanted, they have a really good quote in there, and it's, much of TV and screen time is just watching it Yeah, a lot of it is like, uh, yeah, if, if you watch, <laughs> sorry, I won't go on with that, but um, 
yeah, I've got to stop. So, yes, you're right. It, it's just watching, it's watching people sin. Um, now, it doesn't mean we can't watch TV at all. I think there are good shows. I think there are good lessons to learn from it. Even shows and movies that include sin. You're not, you're not going to get away from it. There's a moral failure in some part of the movie. The question is, how do they respond to it? What's the, what's the response? Um, do they repent of their sins or, or what, right? So, again, it's, it's very difficult. Um, I love movies. I love shows. Uh, and at the same time, I also know how dangerous it is. Um, yeah, I have to be careful too. And I'm a student of the word, and I always will be. But I have to be very careful with my children. My, my sons don't, haven't learned things as much. Yeah. The problem of sin. Yeah, absolutely. In the Bible, episode after episode is filled with sin. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you can't even get it. You can't even read the scriptures without hearing of sin. Yeah. But you say, well, what is the what is the lesson to be learned here? Right? Is this a tragedy? Is it showing that sin is awful? Yes. Is is it showing don't go down this path and don't follow uh, this? Then then yeah, that, I think that's good and then, to teach. And then the simple part of me says, well, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. It's it's what starts the the movie out is rebellion, right? And uh, yeah. So so that's the first thing is uh, the distractions uh, from. From that, so that TV time and screens will eat up the time for devotions. Um, one of the things to point out is Disney movies. Um, now, w- we think that just now Disney is kind of corrupting children, um, and they've kind of come out publicly with that agenda. But the truth is, is even many of the older, better movies are still not that good. Uh, because they're harmful in other ways. Teaching things like follow your heart or follow your emotions. Um, uh, what was it? Jiminy Cricket. Always let your conscience be your guide. Always? <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, a lot of the times, but not always, your conscience can be warped and, and destroyed or seared. Um, but again, th- there's some of these things. A lot of these movies also include rebellion against parents, right? That... that uh, the Little Mermaid is more happy when she disobeys her father <laughs> as opposed to when she living in his kingdom. Um, so, again, those are subtle messages and things. I think that's less harmful, but it's still not good, not the best teaching. A lot of this is hedonism, you'll find. Uh, Hollywood does this a lot. They use lights, stories, music to make you feel bad about certain things. They're very, very good at this where they can make you feel bad for the bad guy. Like, to have sympathy for the bad guy. Um, like, have you seen the Joker movie, the new one with uh, Joaquin Phoenix? They do a really good job. You watch it, and you actually have compassion. You're like, oh, oh, I, I see. He's not so bad. Well, he's evil. He's a very evil man. And it's, it's kind of the, the problem of our culture that wants to understand sin rather than rebuke it and just say, well, tell me why you're sinning, and then that might help us bear with you in your sin as opposed to you, you just don't do this. 
I think there's a place to understand it, but to try and help. But at the same time, um, that doesn't that doesn't give permission for it or license. Um, so anyway, those are just things to keep in mind. In the final points here, as we close, uh, the main point is that catechesis happens at home. And this is the big point I was trying to get at before, which I'll lead here. Children do what their fathers do, not so much what their fathers say. So, <clears throat> if you want your kids to sing hymns with their children at the dinner table, uh, you just do that with them now. As opposed, you, you don't have to turn blue in the face and saying, hey, you have to go to church. You know, you know that? You've you got to go to church. And if you don't go to church, then you don't have to do that. You just go to church. And then they're going to grow up and they're going to go to church. If you sing hymns with your kids, uh, what are they going to do when they grow up? Th- that's all they're going to know what a father is. They're just going to see, that's dad. Well, that's what dads do. They sing with their kids. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. They do that. Um, and that's for better or for worse. So they do this. They mimic what is good in the father. They also mimic the, the shortcomings of the father. But these are the best things to do. Uh, if, if you sit there and just tell your kids you have to do devotion, you have to read the Bible, you have to read the Bible, but you never do it, are they going to read the Bible? No. If you sit down and read with them and tell them these things, will they do it? Absolutely. That's all they're going to know. So anyway, th- this, is, this is the great thing of fathers. We talked about this last time. When fathers don't come with their families to church, if the mother brings the children, there's a 98% chance that those children will leave the church. There's only a 2% chance they'll stay. One in 50 stay. Um, when the father comes, it's almost... Uh, it's almost 100% that the the family stays. It's it's a very powerful thing. Uh, To see your father do something is is incredible, and the family follows that lead. Uh, So application to our congregation, we'll close with this. Uh, Outreach begins in the home. Every single family, every single father ought to um, deal with their own home first. So parents who are concerned about the lost and the unbelievers in the world should give concern to their own children first. Meaning, make sure your own children are taught the faith before you try to teach someone else's children the faith. Concern yourself there first. Uh, The second thing is this. Support fathers. Uh, So you support and aid fathers leading in the home. Uh, Encourage fathers to come to church with their wives and children. Uh, Arrange meetings, council meetings, uh, business and all this stuff in the church so that fathers aren't pulled away or too long from their duties at home. So you don't arrange, so you don't schedule a meeting for the church during dinner time because that's when I talk to my family. That's when I pray with my kids. That's when we sing hymns. So we shouldn't have a meeting during that time. We can find it any other time, but not that time. That's, uh, I need that. Uh, you need that. Um, so that we would do this, same thing for Sundays, that Sundays would be sacred and off limits. And I'm, I'm praying uh, once we're in the sanctuary, we leave this, no business on Sundays, none. You come to church, you hear the word, it's theology. And in fact, remember there, there's this big uh, phase in the churches where uh, churches wanted to get people involved and they wanted men to read, or women, just anybody to read the scriptures in church, right? Do you remember this? Um, and you know, you just, just somebody from the congregation comes up. Well, 
we don't do that because that is the task that God gave to the pastor. Uh, he tells this to Titus and Timothy. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, is what he says. And in fact, uh, this is, has been my argument, that fathers should be reading the Bible so much at home that they're happy to come to church and they don't have to read it, <laughs> right? So that they're so tired of reading the scripture so much in their own homes, they come to church and they're like, finally, somebody reads to me for once. Uh, this is a good thing. I think this is the, the way we ought to approach it. Okay, let's close there.